0: Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we, of course, returning to this subject of spiritual gifts that we started to introduce last week, and, and is such a, um, I guess you could say, a, a core issue, a central issue in so many churches, and yet so often misrepresented and so often misunderstood, and, and, we, and we find today largely that when people speak about spiritual gifts, or when they think about spiritual gifts, their tendency is to think of them as sort of trophies and awards that are put on display in some trophy case, uh, just simply to be admired by other people or to be uh, gazed upon by other people. When in reality, when you understand what the Scripture says about spiritual gifts, what it teaches is that we shouldn't look at them as awards or as trophies, or any of those things, but we should look at them rather as sort of greasy tools in a toolbox, sort of put in there as as the things that are drawn out as occasion calls for it in order to keep the whole thing running, in order to make it run smoothly into the purpose for which God has ordained the church. Well, that's really what we are looking at this morning as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul begins to unfold for us in verses 4 through 7, some of the basics of spiritual gifts, some of the nature and the purpose of these gifts. And remind, just to remind you, he's writing all of this in response to a question, in response to a uh, really a crisis in the church where apparently, as they say in verse 3, someone stood up in the middle of a worship service and claiming to be speaking by the Holy Spirit declared that Jesus is accursed. All of this, of course, is ludicrous, but it shows just how far they had strayed in their understanding. And this launches Paul into this broad discussion of gifts that encompass really the whole next three chapters. But he begins immediately in verses 4 through 7 with this sort of overview of the nature and the purpose of spiritual gifts. And it is foundational, It is fundamental, it is determinative for everything that you you believe and everything that you operate in, in terms of spiritual gifts, and everything that is said throughout the remainder of these chapters, at the core of all of it is everything Paul teaches us in these few verses. And what he's essentially going to tell us is that basically while there is a great diversity in spiritual gifts... There's a uniformity in the purpose and in the intent of those gifts. Another way to say that is there's no gift of the Holy Spirit that would ever bring you in conflict with another gift. Uh, There's no one who's going to declare by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is accursed when, as Paul says in verse 3, everyone speaking by the Holy Spirit says that He's Lord. All of this is just a manifestation that whatever is being done or whatever people are operating in and calling us spiritual gifts is anything but. Now, Paul presents this message of unity and diversity in a powerful way in these verses, and this is what he says. Verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the point of these verses is obvious, and it's just just obvious by the re- repetition of the same words over and over again. V- varieties and the same. Varieties and the same. Varieties and the same. There, there are varieties of activities. There's varieties of ministries, but it's the same God. It's the same Lord. It's the same Spirit. Yet, through all of those repeated words, Paul is really giving us three significant statements about spiritual gifts that we need to understand this morning. He tells us, first of all, that there are a variety of activities when it comes to spiritual gifts. You can't overstate that, and it's probably as misunderstood as anything, but Paul is telling us plainly, that there are a variety of ministries, a variety of activities, a variety of manifestation, a variety of gifts. That will be further emphasized in verses 8 through 11 when Paul gives a sort of sample list of the kind of activities that are claimed within the church at Corinth. But if you wanted to even expand your, your mind and your understanding beyond that, you could just take not just 1 Corinthians 12, but you could go over to Romans chapter 12 or to Ephesians 3 and 4 or to 1 Peter 4 or any list of gifts that you may find in the New Testament and you could just set them all side by side. And what you would notice if you did that is that there is some overlap in some of those lists, but at the same time, there's a great amount of diversity. There's a great amount of variety among those gifts. And we conclude from that that when Paul came to speak about spiritual gifts, He wasn't writing from some sort of crib sheet. He wasn't writing from some sort of set paradigm or list that he operated from. When he gave those lists, he was giving sort of representative lists or representative examples, or we might even think of sort of representative categories of all the gifts and the ways that they could operate in various churches. Another way to say that is that there is no complete or comprehensive list of gifts in any book of the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, when you add up all of the various designations of gifts, you probably shouldn't even think of those as some comprehensive and complete list of all the gifts that there could be. That's because when God works in various people and in various ways, those gifts manifest themselves in a tremendous amount of variety so that someone may have the gift of teaching and that teaching manifests itself in a very public way and in an exhortation, whereas some people that we might categorize as a teacher might excel more in private settings and give words of comfort. Or some people may have the gift of mercy, which expresses itself well in the heat of a crisis, while other people manifest that gift by following along weeks after the crisis in order to minister to a family in time of need. And yet we know that both of them are very necessary. Some people have gifts of administration which operate well in one category. Other people operate well in another. There are some evangelists who speak powerfully to large crowds. There are others who excel in one-on-one situations. Every person operates with all of these varieties and all these various manifestations and all of them by the Holy Spirit so that you can think about gifts, not just in terms of some 15 or 20 categories, But maybe think of them more like a snowflake. There aren't any two that are alike. They they, they manifest themselves, and this is Paul's point here, they manifest themselves in all kinds of different ways. That's why it's really not helpful to take some quiz or some test or some survey to find out what your gift is. Those tests really have more in common with psychological profiling than they do with a biblical understanding of how the Spirit operates in the ministries of various churches. And yet, that's the tendency over the past century. The church has become far too focused on trying to classify and define gifts according to some preconceived notion of aptitude rather than focusing on the diversity of ways the Spirit may use people in various ministries of the church. But what Paul is emphasizing here is really this diversity, and it comes out in his terminology. In fact, he, he uses the same word varieties. The word is diarasis. In each one of these phrases in verses five, four, five, and 6, we translate it varieties, but it's often translated allotment or apportionment or distribution, or you might even translate it as assignment, assigned portions. And what he's telling us is the Lord has different assignments for each one of us. Various assigned ministries and activities and grace gifts that the Lord dispenses to each of us. In fact, it's the same root for the word that you find in verse 11, when Paul says that it's the Spirit who apportions to each one. He apportions ministries and grace gifts to each one individually as he wills. And so the emphasis is there on all this variety that just takes place all the time in the church. And it even carries through in the other terms that Paul uses. For example, in verse 4, he refers to these things as charismata, from the word, of course, charis, which basically means a gift, or, or, or we translate it sometimes grace. What we really mean is Favor when we say that. And so what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit bestows or He assigns favor to people in various ways. That's the point. The Holy Spirit bestows or apportions grace to people in various ways when it comes to these ministries. You see, we tend to put all the focus on some sense of aptitude But the emphasis isn't on aptitude, it is on grace. It's the fact that you don't deserve what you're receiving. Another way to say that is that the emphasis that Paul makes in these verses is not on having a gift, it's on being a gift. The emphasis is not on having a gift, it's on being a gift. And that really comes through in the other terminology in verses, in verse five he uses the word diacon, which we obviously get our word deacon from that. We translated ministry, we translated servant, but that's what Paul is saying. You are a servant in various ways, meaning Needs. In fact, that word deacon or diakonos has a particular focus on meeting physical needs and serving at tables and doing things like that. so Paul's emphasizing that these ministries that God gives us are for the purpose of creating benefit for other people. And then he uses another word in verse six: "In our ghetto, God energizes or, or God empowers us." We get our word obviously energy from that. Now, this word simply emphasizes that when we look at all these ministries that the Lord gives us, we look at them not only as gifts, but more importantly, we should look at them as being energized by God. God provides them, and then He supplies the energy that makes them work. So when when all this comes together for what we sometimes call spiritual gift, the language that Paul uses here doesn't emphasize aptitude. It's all about activity. It's all about serving. It's all about doing. It's always uh, all about trusting God to supply what you need during all of those tasks that you find yourself in and then understanding them as grace and favor when it happens. Now, there's no greater demonstration of all this than the Apostle Paul himself because he He understood the ministries that the Lord had given him as a demonstration of God's favor and grace and kindness. And not only that, he knew if there was any hope of him ever accomplishing anything in these ministries, it would have to be energized by the power of God so that he could speak of his ministries as the gift of God that had been given to him. That is to say when Paul spoke of the concept of gift he spoke of it as the opportunities that were given to him not the aptitudes. Now I want to show you this in just one concise place. If you flip back uh, uh, Ephesians is just a couple books beyond 1 Corinthians and Ephesians chapter 3 Paul brings together all of this language into one single verse. And I want you to notice the way he uses each of these words and how they relate to one another. Ephesians chapter 3, and you look at verse 7, and this is what Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His Power. And there you have all three of the words that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 to speak about spiritual gifts. You have the word keratos, the word grace. You have the word diakonos, the word minister. And you have the word gaon, the word working. And what Paul is emphasizing here isn't a talent and it isn't an aptitude, it's an opportunity. He's saying, Look, I was given by grace. I was given the gift of doing something. And that comes out very clear in the very next verse because he says in verse 8, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is Paul's concept of his gift. His gift was an opportunity to do something, the opportunity to preach to somebody, an opportunity to encourage somebody, an opportunity to serve somebody, an opportunity to to edify and uplift somebody, an opportunity to pray for somebody. This was the grace gift that Paul has in mind, the gift of being able to serve. It is the gift of... Of being a minister, or again, we would say that the emphasis here in Ephesians three is not on having a gift, it is on being a gift now don 't get me wrong when don 't go out of here and say, well that pastor says he is god 's gift to the church okay that 's not what i 'm saying because uh, we 're not talking about you having some special secret. Skill that you know, the, everyone would just die without. That's not the idea. What Paul's really talking about is, is being given to the church as a slave, being given to the church to be expended for God's glory and God's purpose as a servant to the church. In fact, if you're there in Ephesians, you can keep going because one of the list of gifts that you find in the New Testament, you find right here, and it's not a list of aptitudes and it's not a list of talents. It is a list of people. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, what we read is that God gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul said that God had given him as well as others to the church to be servants, to be slaves. That's the sense that he had of his gift. All of these people with the emphasis not on having, but on doing. That's why when we talk about spiritual gifts, our emphasis isn't on taking some test. Discovering some secret skill, some secret aptitude. Or emphasis, our our emphasis when you come and you go to our new members class or where it might be, our emphasis is on doing, on serving, on ministering, on meeting a need. So if someone asks me, Pastor, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? I would say focus on being a blessing to someone. Focus on being a servant. Make yourself a slave to someone's needs. Don't focus on having a gift. Focus on being a gift. Focus on on being a blessing to the people around you. Find those areas of ministry that no one is doing or find those areas of ministry that one person is trying to do too much and take some of the load off of them and make yourself a blessing. Make yourself a servant. Make yourself a slave to the needs of others. And demonstrate God's grace in a tangible way. That is what a grace gift is. And then as you do that, trust God to provide whatever energizing effect is necessary. Trust Him to give you the wisdom and the strength and the perseverance or whatever is necessary to accomplish the task or the opportunity that's right in front of you. It's at that point that the Spirit supplies whatever is necessary. It's at that point that God gives the resources that are needed. Or as 1 Peter chapter 4 says, As each has received a gift of grace, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies again this is what paul says in his own life if you go back to 1 corinthians and go all the way to chapter 3 this is the way paul speaks of his own ministry and the ministry of apollos he says in chapter 3 verse 5 what then is apollos what is paul servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each. And there, there you have the word assigned or given. And Paul's saying that these are roles which are gifts from God. They're given to each of us, and each of us operated within them as diaconoi, as servants. And in those various roles, Paul says, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth, so that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. Now, we might think of of Paul and and, and Apollos in sort of the categorical sense as both teachers. But what Paul is saying is is that at the various opportunities that were placed before us, we made ourselves a servant to the need and God effected different things. And this is what you find. As people, as people serve, there are different workings, there are different energizing, and sometimes there's different results, but it's all from the Spirit of God because there's different needs at different points. We're at the stage in our yard, as I'm sure you are in yours, where you know it's time to plant. And of course, if you're going to plant, you have to do the, the, the work of tilling, right? And so you all, we all know the sort of basic framework you kind of dig up all the old roots and all the the rocks and all that stuff you got to prepare the ground and then you come back behind and you plant the plant and then there's someone who comes behind and spends a little while watering the plant in order to get it going right and so we're at that stage where we're kind of all uh, you know uh, looking at one another and trying to figure out who's going to be the one that does that first thing You know, dig up the roots and the rocks. Nobody ever wants to do that. And I find myself having to steadily increase my bribes with my kids in order to get that done. Because I want to be the guy that plants, you know. I want to be the guy messing with the pretty flowers. But we understand that all of those things are necessary. If we try to bypass any of them, then we can stick our plant in the ground, but the roots that are in there will suck away the water, and the weeds that are there are going to choke them out in the long run, that if we don't do all of the things that are necessary, that we're not going to have the final product that we need. And so this is what Paul's saying. God is working, and all the various things that are in front of you, and He is accomplishing whatever is necessary in the life of the church. You just make yourself a servant. You just step forward and say, I'll do what is needed next. And you trust God to energize it and to supply the need and supply whatever, whatever you know, uh, uh, skills or whatever it might be. You trust God to bring all of that about, and the results are all from Him. That's why any discussion of spiritual gifts shouldn't be put into some tidy, neat little category, because these gifts are as varied and as manifold as the opportunities in front of you. They're as varied and as manifold as all the needs in the everyday life of the church. And what you may find is that as you you present yourself as a servant for all all the opportunities in front of you, that at different phases of your life, different opportunities are there for you, and you will need to trust God in different ways to bring about Whatever result is needed in that particular ministry. In other words, you might find that God is gifting you in different ways at different times in your life. Because you are serving in different capacities as you grow. Now all this brings us back to the main point in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The second significant statement that Paul's making about spiritual gifts. Not only does he emphasize the variety of the activities involved with these gifts. But he also speaks about the unity of their source. The unity of their source. Because along with all this language about variety of gifts and variety of service, variety of activities, Paul emphasizes that all of these things come in a unified way from God. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Lord. It's the same God. It's not It's not competing forces that are out there that are bringing all this about. It is God in His unified, and we would say in His Trinitarian character. You'll notice that Paul uses a Trinitarian formula here, Spirit, Lord, and God. This is the same Lord that he talked about in verse 3 when he says, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So it's it's the Spirit, it's the Lord Jesus, and it's God the Father. And what he's doing, he Paul could have said it another way. He could have said, look, um, no one or he criticized, excuse me, there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same God. There's varieties of activities, but it's the same God. There's varieties of servants. Uh, there's variety of, uh, varieties of ministries, but it's the same God. But he doesn't. He doesn't use just one member of the Trinity. He brings in all three members of the Trinity because he wants to add that emphasis, the emphasis that God himself operates in different ways. There's a certain variety within the Godhead, a certain diversity within the Godhead, and yet there's a unity in all of it. This is the paradigm that try, Paul is trying to help us to understand when it comes to all these various spiritual gifts is that God is working through different people at different times in different ways, and yet it's all from Him. It's all from Him. And it shouldn't lead to disunity. It ought to demonstrate the unity of the Spirit in every manifestation of it. That is to say, no one's going to stand up and declare that Jesus is a curse when everyone speaking by the Spirit of God says that He's Lord. These ministries don't operate in competition with one another. They complement one another. And all of this reflects the beautiful demonstration of God Himself to a watching world. This incredible diversity within each body of Christ. It's the same God working and implementing all these complementary ways within people, operating with all these ministries by the working of God, producing a unity within the church that reflects God Himself. He's the source of it, and He's the the one who brings about the product. He's the one who is at the fountainhead, and He is the one who is reflected in the pool. He's all of it. And by giving all these various ministries, when you operate within the various ministries that are gifted to you, you experience the unity of God within your fellowship like no other way you ever could. This is what Paul's message is throughout this passage. Unity within all of this diversity. And all of it leads to the third significant statement that he makes about spiritual gifts. Not only the variety of the activities, not only the unity of the source, but even the consistency of the purpose. And all this just flows out of everything he said so far, that despite all of this variety demonstrated in all these ministries and demonstrated in all this grace and God's gifting, they are all working together for one unifying, consistent purpose. Verse 7, Paul says, each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So no matter what your ministry, the Spirit is able and He's eager to manifest Himself through you for the benefit of someone else. That's what he's saying. He wants to do it. For the common good, for the benefit of other people, for the edification of others. Another way to say this is that there's no such thing as a gift or a ministry or an ability or an empowerment by the Holy Spirit for personal exaltation and personal edification. That's simply not the purpose gifts aren't given for that they're given for the common good they're given to be a blessing to others not to yourself that's why it's such a self-indictment when you meet someone and they claim to have a spiritual gift which operates in their closet people go around all the time say talk about having a private gift a private uh, prayer language that somehow they operate under themselves, alone in the, in, the, in the privacy of their own prayer life or something. And all of this is just accepted by everyone because we live in an existential age where you're not allowed to really question someone else's experience. And so if they have an experience and they're sincere, that somehow that legitimizes everything that they have to say. But Paul is implying, no matter what they're saying, it's illegitimate. Or we would say, say it maybe this way, no matter what their personal experience, there's no way that they can say that that experience is from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't give those kinds of gifts. The Holy Spirit doesn't operate in opposition or inconsistent with the way he operates in other gifts. He doesn't give gifts that are inconsistent. He doesn't give gifts that are for personal use. So whatever private gift someone may claim to have, they cannot claim to have it by the Holy Spirit because he doesn't give gifts for such purposes. Gifts are given, the Scripture says, for the common good. For common edification. for the of the body of Christ. In fact, the word that Paul uses here in verse 7 is sumferon. It's the word for collecting something or gathering something together. So the idea is that these gifts are for the purpose of bringing and drawing the church together, not for the purpose of creating divisions, and the gifts are not for the purpose of isolating you, and they're not for the purpose of exalting you or somehow allowing you to operate independent of everyone else in the church. In fact, the gifts are given to make you dependent. The gifts are given in order to draw you together, to, to allow you to come together and to allow God to manifest Himself through you to someone else. In fact, it's really a, such an insightful word here in verse 7 when he says he calls these now the manifestations of the Spirit. Suggesting that every time someone operates with a spiritual gift, it's always a manifestation of the Spirit working through them. Another way to say it is it's impossible to misuse a true manifestation of the Spirit. You cannot say someone has a manifestation of the Spirit and yet they're using it in a fleshly way. Can't say that. That's ridiculous. The Spirit would never manifest Himself in a fleshly way. People have sometimes spoken about spiritual gifts that way. They suggest that you have this spiritual gift, but sometimes it can operate in pride or arrogance or whatever. That just completely misunderstands what a gift is and where the energy and the power comes from in which it operates. When you're operating with a gift of the Lord, a gift the Lord has given you, you are demonstrating, you are manifesting directly the power of the Spirit flowing through you. In other words, you're not like some battery that has to go and get sort of charged up at some point and then you sort of unplug and then you go out and you just dispense all that energy however you see fit. And yet that's the mentality that people have gotten in their minds and we need to reorient people and tell them, no, you're not a battery, you are an extension cord. And if you're not plugged into the Holy Spirit, there's nothing flowing through you. And if you are plugged in, the only thing flowing through you is from Him. And this is the way spiritual gifts operate. This is the manifestations of the Spirit. And yet, people have begun to think about spiritual gifts in the church today as something that's very personal, something that's all about them, something about a gift within them, rather than them being a gift to others. So the notion is that you can operate in your gift in some way that would manifest your flesh and still claim that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, none of that is consistent with what Paul teaches here. None of that is consistent with the working of God. He gives grace gifts, and he gives them for mutual edification. And when a church is operating in areas where the Lord has assigned to each of them, and they're trusting Him day by day, hour by hour, to manifest Himself through them, the result of all that is harmony. The result of all that is edification. The result of all that is unity within the church. And this is this is how we could close is just by going back to the book of Ephesians and just looking once again at this beautiful picture that's given to us there in chapter four. Because this is exactly what you see. Ephesians four, verse 11, God gives these people. He gives these apostles and prophets and evangelists and and pastors and teachers. And he gives them, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says this happens in verse 14 so that we're not tossed about by all of these deceitful schemes and and every wind of doctrine. But I want you to notice in verse 15, rather we're speaking truth in love or rather speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See the picture there? The picture isn't some isolation and it isn't some private gift. And it is an individual exaltation. The picture that's given to you there isn't some trophy case with awards and honors to be put on display in front of everyone and to be gazed at because of your aptitude and your skill. You know what the picture is? The picture is a greasy old toolbox. And you're, you're, you're in there somewhere. And when you're needed, you come out and you're used for whatever purpose is in front of you. And you stand always ready for that. And when a church begins to embrace that and understands gifts in that way, the result is this beautiful maturing and equipping and loving and community-centered body that reflects the beauty and perfection of its triune God who gives the gifts. Well, these are just fundamental so important for us to get our heads around, but there's more coming in the following weeks as we dive into what Paul has to say about gifts throughout the rest of this chapter. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this vital instruction encapsulated in just these few phrases, but Lord, they teach us so much about the activities and the manifestations, about the the services, ministries that you've entrusted to us. I pray, Lord, that we would minister. And the stewardship that you've given to us, I pray that we would minister by the strength that you supply. Help us, Lord, to look at ourselves as those who are conduits to manifest the Spirit all around us, in various ways and various opportunities, help us to look at ourselves and present ourselves as gifts to the body of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.